0: Welcome back dudes and dudettes to lizard talk gonna be talking some music and pop culture today Today's podcast is a continuation of one we had in previous time back after a brief hiatus here But we are ready for some action gonna be talking about my the man Ozzy Osbourne the man the myth the legend Oz Ozman Whatever you want to call him. I don't even have to pull up a picture You already know what the guy looks like got that dark silhouette Usually wearing some sort of black clothing, black trench coat, black boots, got his black hair, black fingernails, OZZY tattooed across his knuckles, and usually sporting the purple tinted John Lennon kind of hippie sunglasses there. Ozzy is the man. One of, <coughs> I would say, excuse me, one of the most influential rock and roll artists of all time, especially as a frontman, as a solo artist. You look at his rap sheet like there's not many people that stack up and can beat him ozzy has been a cultural icon since 1970 and he it's a miracle that he's alive first and foremost like (laughs) the amount of cocaine and pills and alcohol that man has put and pissed through his body is insane he is a walking (laughs) medical masterpiece like medical miracle like this dude this dude is something special john michael osborne was born on december 3rd in 1948 in birmingham england and if you really want to talk about ozzy and especially music in general and a lot of the the counterculture movement that occurred especially in the u.s and then you look at post-world war ii era you know you get the, the working class and especially in england it's very industrial it's very uh, you know a lot of people are still on edge like you know is another war gonna happen like picking up the pieces and had some You know stricter households of that time and Ozzy grew up in that and he grew very um very anti-authority he was a a mischievous kid especially growing up like he would there's one story he would steal his like one of his friends at a birthday he would steal like the cake or something lock himself in the bathroom and like eat the damn thing and then when his mom would come in to spank his ass and you know discipline him he'd be like you know Ozzy why'd you do this and like what what cake what are you talking about like I didn't I didn't do anything as, like, it's dripping and chocolate over his fucking face and shit. Like, there's a couple of stories like that of him growing up, and Ozzy was, he was always a, a rebel. He was always searching for something. He spent some time in jail, actually. A couple robberies here and there, just little different things like that. Ozzy got his OZZY tattooed across his hand in there, across the knuckles. He also has two smiley face tattoos on each kneecap. This is where we kind of see Ozzy expand a little bit more. You know, wasn't super into school. He was working in factories like uh, Tony Iommi I talked about and Black Sabbath was working in sheet metal factories at this time. Kind of a grungy era in the mid to late 60s where they are working. And obviously we have a lot of the counterculture movement going on there, especially in the U.S. and in the U.K. Getting lots of different bands, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, things of that sort and these gentlemen did not particularly care for the peace love the happy go lucky type softer sound that a lot of these bands you know like the monkeys you know you know what i'm talking about mamas and papas that type of shit they were just like yeah that's all fine and dandy but like we want something heavy we want something sludgy and this drive is what really leads them to open up the doors of heavy metal Black Sabbath would go on to be, is the godfather of heavy metal. Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, and Bill Ward, they all met in various bands in the late 60s there. Really goofy names for some of these, like uh, Rare Bre- Rare Breed, like uh, something Earth Band. They had some weird different titles, but Black Sabbath, the solidified version of them in 1970, would go on to release the self-titled debut and we talked about them in a previous podcast, but recorded in three days. It was their live set. They just put the tape and yeah, they hit the charts and they're just like, whoa, what the fuck is up with all this success? Like, uh, Ozzy and company had found a sound and struck a chord with a lot of people. They liked the doom and the gloom, the, the heavy, the sludgy, doomier sounds. Black Sabbath wanted to bring and Ozzy and wanted to bring more of like the horror. Like people were paying to go to movies, to get the shit scared out of them. Hey, let's take that idea and apply it to music listen to our records, come to our shows and get the shit scared out of you. And like, yeah, that's what they're trying to bring with this. And if you want more about Black Sabbath, we have a previous podcast. Where we talk about that phenomenal band, phenomenal records all the way from 1970 through to 1979, at least with the Ozzy lineup, <clears throat> the Dio and later years were had their moments, but Ozzy was the true mem- true lead singer of Black Sabbath there. With any band, especially starting in the late 60s, early 70s, Led Zeppelin, The Who, ACDC, Black Sabbath, a lot of these bands that got exposed to success in the late 60s, early early 70s, and we see them go out throughout the 70s. They're killing it, they're crushing it, and then we start to see the drug use and fatigue set in. A lot of these bands, a lot of these members, cocaine, drinking, touring, like 300 360 days out of the year, like 365 days out of the year, like they're going at it and it takes a toll on the body when you're not giving it rest and you're just going after it, but they were chasing the bag, like they wanted to they wanted to make themselves known, they wanted to, you know keep the success going, they didn't know when the ride was going to stop and fucking computer, of course Ozzy was a maniac, cocaine drinking, pills, like you name it Ozzy, you... If it can be snorted, injected, blah, blah, blah. Ozzy has done it. He's done it all. He is a walking medical miracle. That man is fucking nuts. Now, that's all fine and dandy, but can you go on stage and can you perform? Like, it's okay to be like that, maybe off stage, if, you know, this is your job. Like, if you can, it's your business what you do in your free time. But if you can actually perform on stage, like, that's another thing. But Ozzy was slacking in his performance to say the least especially in the late 70s 78 79 when they were on tour with wow the computer's really not having a good time in late 79 they were on tour with van halen and if you are a band touring with van halen in the late 70s just just pack up go home dude like give the fuck up young eddie van halen david lee roth is all sexy and doing high kicks and alex van halen's thunderous drumming and like you got no chance competing with that when they're at their peak, and this was made very apparent on that tour, and the band members, Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, and Bill were like, dude, Ozzy, like, you're out, dude, like, you're gonna fucking kill yourself, like, because we saw with Bon Scott of ACDC, John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, Keith Moon of The Who, we saw these band members consume themselves with their own success, and that's where Ozzy was heading, so the band's like, nope, we're done, Ozzy was mortified, like, He didn't know what the fuck to do. So he got a payout and he took the money from Black Sabbath and he basically went on a sixth month drinking cocaine and pill binge in a hotel where he was basically, (laughs) this was his last party in his own words, like he was gonna, he didn't know when this shit was gonna last so he's just like, fuck it, I'm going out. That is until a young lady by the name of Sharon came by the hotel and eventually talked him off the ledge and got him to convince them to help him go solo. Sharon Osbourne, wasn't Sharon Osbourne at the time, but Sharon was the daughter of the, uh, their, their manager at the time. I forget his name, but the manager managed Black Sabbath and Ozzy as a solo artist, and he was looking out after the investment. Ozzy's success and the band's success was dependent on this guy, you know, keeping their shit together. So this guy was able to... Convince his daughter, to Sharon, to go talk to Ozzy and, you know, try to talk him off the ledge here. Sharon and Ozzy had a tremendous and unique relationship throughout the years. Especially, you get to see a little bit more of the ins and outs towards, you know, when they had the Osbournes, the reality show going on, late 90s, early 2000s there. But a very special relationship nonetheless. They had their ups and downs, but Sharon somehow could see through the the drunken, the... The goofy mischievous guy and could see Ozzy's big heart and um yeah they I Sharon must be a saint dude having to deal with all that going on with Ozzy like that uh, that's no joke. Ozzy would release his solo debut album in 1980, The Blizzard of Oz. You got things like Crazy Train on that. Mister Crowley, Ozzy gets introduced to a man by the name of Randy Rhodes. You got also a few other members of the band. Uh, Lee Kerslake on drums, formerly of Uriah Heap. You got Bob Daisley of the band Rainbow on bass. Got Don Airy on keyboards. Pretty solid lineup. Lee Kerslake, a very underrated drummer from Uriah Heap there. Very thunderous, especially in that opening album. Randy Rhodes was a tremendous mentor to Ozzy. Randy was not only a classically trained guitarist, he was also a guitar teacher and he really helped expand Ozzy's songwriting and just opened him up to a lot of different ideas. Sonically, the album sounds very similar to what a progression of Black Sabbath would be, and that's A-OK. That time period in 1980 was a tremendous year for heavy metal. You look at uh, Judas Priest, British Steel coming out then, Back in Black by ACDC, fin- fantastic heavy metal albums coming out in this time frame. You know, you got the Scorpions, I forget their album that came out in that time period. Uh, Late 79 was Animal Magnetism, but phenomenal music being produced by, by these bands in this time. And this album was a draw. Like, Blizzard, yeah, the Blizzard of Oz was, it hit the charts and, well, before this album was even released there was a interesting story basically so ozzy is kicked out of black sabbath and he's basically a liability at this point He's a walking cocaine and booze bag and <laughs> no record label wants to touch him at this point so sharon being the savvy businesswoman that she was and helping out ozzy set up a meeting with i believe it was epic records and she wanted ozzy to go in and release these doves into the meeting as they could sign a peace goodwill yada yada whatever bullshit like i don't understand the exact circumstance of the doves being there but doves were going to be at this meeting ozzy was told by sharon you know hey you know we got to make an impression we want these people to release our record ozzy's like oh yeah yeah I'll, i'll make an impression Ozzy goes into the meeting, releases the doves or whatever, sits on this one executive assistant's lap, and she's like, why the fuck are you sitting, and, like, this dove flies onto Ozzy's lap on his knee. Ozzy, in front of this room of, like, 25 record label executives, takes the dove, bites the head off it, and smiles, and then blood's, you know, gushing out on it, well, not necessarily gushing, it's a dove, but it's dripping down his, like, his suit, and it's just like, okay, get the fuck out, Ozzy is banned from the <laughs> the grounds of Epic Records there for life. They do release his record though, and it fucking charts and it goes gold very, very early on. Then obviously quadruple, but so on and so forth. Platinum. Standout album there. The Ozman is back. He doesn't need Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath members. I believe it was Geezer Butler. There, that's at the time they were very jealous because like, ugh. But Black Sabbath would release Heaven and Hell in 1980, and it was a very good album in and of itself there. But it's hard to see your main man that you fired go (laughs) even bigger than you. Diary of a Madman comes out in 1981. The partnership between Randy Rhodes, and Ozzy is very strong at this point. You got songs like Over the Mountain, Flying High, like, excuse me, Flying High Again, like all these standout tracks, classic, classic rock and staples throughout pop culture 83 well before 83 we have an incident that occurs with randy rhodes randy was only 25 years old on tour with ozzy when he died in a plane crash a absolute guitar virtuoso second maybe only to eddie van halen of his era is a very tragic time for Ozzy. You just got your, you just got in the swing of things. You're back on your feet and you lose your main man. You're, you're kind of meant he was only 25, but he was like Ozzy's mentor, especially open him up songwriting and lyrically. Like then how do you replace that? Like you get a man by the name of Jake E Lee, very great guitarist in his own right. Get the albums, Bark at the moon. Like again, classic, classic rock classic heavy metal you hear these songs on 101.5 especially in the madison area you hear these songs in these classic rock radio stations these are staples obviously the songs you hear over and over again they're great but if you really dig into some of the deeper cuts of these ozzy tracks you'll find something uniquely your own especially like sometimes it can get saturated on a lot of the heavy metal classic rock stations with some of these and you might think like man i'm just sick of this song but like you hear it again after hearing it for so many times like man this is a really good song kind of like with crazy train it's a great song but man can we stop playing overplaying that especially like football games and any high school sporting event it gets a little old i understand that but ozzy you're not getting you're not getting rid of this guy very easily ozzy is trudging along throughout the 80s My favorite album he comes out with is, in 1986, comes out with The Ultimate Sin. Jake E. Lee, after getting screwed out of songwriting and royalties for the previous album, Bark at the Moon, Jake E. Lee writes most of The Ultimate Sin. And he makes sure he has a contract in play, like, hey, I'm getting paid for these songs that I wrote. Phenomenal album, Secret Loser, Fool Like You, Shot in the Dark, all kinds of Ozzy bangers on this album it's also an interesting transition point for a lot of music so early 80s a lot of the guitar drumming you know I talked about you know Judas Priest you know the Scorpions ACDC of that time you can hear a lot of the different distortion and just different guitar tones throughout the years this this album in particular Ultimate Sin in 86 just has a unique flavor i'm just really preferable to like the guitar has like a more of a screechy type effect there's more of an emphasis on solos and a little bit more uh, what's the word i'm looking for like more of a distorted kind of sludgier sound in it we see a lot of bands release their finest work in in this time period uh metallic in particular master of puppets came out in 1986 the same year as this album you got uh megadeth in there too peace Cells like Got some solid work to compete with in this era for heavy metal. Ozzy's kicking ass. No Rest for the Wicked is where we see a man by the name of Zach Wilde come into the picture. Zach Wilde of Black Label Society, his own solo work. He does a band called Zach Sabbath. He is, he looks like (laughs) he should be on like a, I don't know, Messing with Sasquatch skit. He looks like Clay Matthews or the, I don't know, what's the, he looks like Thor basically he's got that fucking beard he looks like he plays rock and roll and drinks whiskey all day which is what he does absolute shred man got no rest for the wicked um not really a bunch of standout tracks right away to me late 80s metal is very very phenomenal you see a lot of bands like metallica you get injustice for all a lot of bands really get their hard sounds going you also see a lot of bands of this era Really caving to the the glam and hair metal. Ozzy stuck to the metal side of things. He, ah, you could say, in like the late eighties, he kind of had some feather hair bullshit going on, but the music spoke for itself, and there was not a reduction in quality in favor of makeup and spandex, as was the case with a lot of bands like Poison and Motley Crue. And ah, maybe that's not fair to say Motley Crue, but Poison for sure. Poison can go fuck themselves. Ozzy is the man, continues moving along. There is an incident, <laughs> and, excuse me, in 1989, there was a, well, obviously, world culture of this time. You got, you know, Soviet-era Russia in this time. the Berlin Wall is still up. 1989, there's a concert over in Russia. Ozzy is, like, at his peak right now. He's crushing it. He's, nobody could blow that man off the stage during that time. And... This is where kind of Russia is opening up to American culture, Western culture. And they have a great concert there. Ozzy gets gifted with all these like fancy, fine, you know, Russian vodkas and all these deep cuts of things and takes it back to wherever. And um, he goes on a drinking binge one night with this fancy Russian vodka and some pills and almost strangles Sharon Osbourne to death. It was at that time they really had some turmoil going on and Sharon rather than getting rid of him sticks with the guy that's pretty fucked up man tries to strangle you and i don't know like but sharon could see through the bullshit and she knew who ozzy was i don't think a lot of women in her situation would have done that i i don't know it's a it's a strange circumstance with ozzy given his previous past but it was at this time, we see Ozzy kind of come full circle. He spent, I believe it was 30 days, I don't know, maybe, no, three months in court, ordered rehab at this time, and there was one party, I forget, in maybe the early 90s, late 80s, he was never perfect sober, and he was doing, like, mounds and mounds of cocaine, and finally one day, he's just, like, looking in the mirror, he's like, fuck this shit, like, I'm done. Dumps the cocaine down the toilet, and seldom touched it ever again. Now whether he drinks and maybe smokes a little weed here and now, like that's a different story. But for sure, hard cocaine ended '90s for him. '91, we get no more tears. Ozzy is back in action. Mama, I'm coming home. You got Hellraiser. Um, obviously the title track, no more, no more tears, featured in the the movie Little Nicky. Ozzy is a staple throughout pop culture. That scene he has in Little Nicky is hilarious. We see uh the Osborns come into fruition the tv sh- tv series very much like the kardashians even before the kardashians had a show ozzy is hilarious the one time he goes to the dentist and he's like is this fucking laughing gas thing even on like he's trying to get a tooth pulled and like <laughs> the dentist is just having a day with him because he's just absolutely destroyed his mind and pain tolerance with all the drugs and shit he's done ozzy has a few other albums in the 90s you got osmosis and you got albums in 01, 05, 07, 2010, and 2020. Not as notable, but Ozzy's still, still grinding. It's like, oh, I'm retired. Not really, though. Lasting legacy Ozzy Osbourne, of course, we see the creation of OzFest, which I believe, eh, it was in the mid-90s that happened. A festival, much like a Lollapalooza, or what's the other really... Coachella, like yeah, that other one. Although Ozfest is strictly like rock and roll, heavy metal, like you gotta have something about you that gives to that culture to be on that set list. And it's brought forth a lot of new bands. It's given a stage for a lot of up and comers, and that's really you have a festival named after you, dude. Like that's incredible. Obviously, we see a lot of his reference in pop culture being a medical miracle and just a mumbling guy like even when he does interviews now like does he really know where he is is he still on drugs like ozzy is just like a he's like a facet of our culture and we hope we never lose him i don't think probably just be cockroaches that are left and cockroaches and ozzy that are left when the world is done he is a two-time member of the rock and roll hall of fame not only with black sabbath but as a solo artist Ozzy, you cannot deny him. You think of heavy metal, you think of rock and roll. Ozzy Osbourne is the man. And if you're going to take anything away from Ozzy Osbourne's career, you can really pick and choose. To me, I think I like to look at him as a story of someone who found a way, who found themselves in a situation of Birmingham, England, who found themselves in a situation they didn't want to be in and they they busted their ass and they found a way to make something make something for themselves. And Ozzy's also a tale of redemption and imperfection. We as humans we're not perfect human beings. Like we're we're flawed. We have things we do, we fuck up. Some of us some of us do drugs. Some of us are assholes. Some of us are just shit people and we just need to learn and do things better. Ozzy fucked up like so many times in his life. But he kept showing up. He kept, and kudos to Sharon, ha, having somebody like that in your life, having a strong woman, having a strong partner in your relationship to keep you in check, call you out in your bullshit, and see through the lies, see through the drugs, see through everything, and know the real you. Ozzy's a tale of redemption and, and of grit. To go through everything he went through, drugs, partying, And living rock and roll for 40 plus years. And come out on the other side. Still alive. And still trying to put stuff out there. I think that's pretty incredible. This has been Lizard Talk. Number 18. We'll keep rocking and rolling here. Going to be keeping with music and pop culture going. Don't know who we're going to do next. But we'll do them. Hope you have a great evening. Afternoon or morning. Whenever you're listening to this my goodness. And rock and roll. Ozzy is the man. Chuck on any Ozzy song you like. Catch you next time.